You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and my friend, Arthur Parkinson. We both adore tender perennial climbers. And what that kind of means is that in this country, they're grown as annuals. But actually, if we lived in some lovely warm place like South Africa or California or Mexico, they would be like a clematis. They would be completely perennial because they're cut back by the frosts in the winter but they wouldn't be if there wasn't frost. And that's where they hail from. And the reason that they're the subject for today is that they are just looking utterly splendid. And if you want a garden that goes on looking good, really late into autumn, even into winter, I passionately recommend the Tender Perennial Climber Group. They will give you wonderful flowers and colour and, in a way, even more importantly, sculpture and architecture in your garden when everything else is turning a little bit grey and mushy once the frost start. And these will take, in my experience, down to sort of minus two, three degrees of frost. So you have to have quite a really cold night before they get hammered. And you love them too, don't you, Arthur? Yeah, I do. You you introduced me to them quite a while ago because they do give... The late autumn garden, this beautiful jungly glitterati like confetti, they kind of just snake around the place in early summer. And then as the nights start to get longer and they they tend to just put a lot of growth on, so they almost forget they're there. And then suddenly they start to flower and peek out of all the other things that are quicker to flower than them. And then once all the things like the cosmos are looking a bit dreary, that's when they really seem to get going. They seem to love the feeling of autumn approaching and getting a nice wet dew on them in the morning. And I was in a butterfly house last week and I remember thinking, gosh, they need to get some you know, annual climbers in here because they do make, for me, a garden truly feel like a jungle. Um, so I, I do love them more and more. Mm. And it's you actually who's really hammered home to me that all these things were coming onto their names and descriptions and everything. But the other reason to talk about them now is not only are they looking really fantastic in the garden, but also... They're one of the first things in the year to sow. And maybe we'll come on to that in more detail, but but you really do need to sow these early and, and that's really important. Mm. But what are your favourites? My, my favourite is is one that a lot of people will know but maybe haven't bothered to grow, called Fumbergia mm. at Atlanta, particularly a variety called African Sunset. But there's there's really some amazing breeding going on with these beautiful little like bonnet flowers and they look like they've got a little bit of nutella in the middle of them like a blob yes um, they and they do. look like little faces and they're the most they're the most wonderful like fromage free apricotty but they're not too on the pastel side they kind of have a if you imagine they've just like walked into a fake tanning shop and all come <laughs> out with a with a varying degree of fake tan every single of these little bonnet flowers has got a different shade of apricot or orange so they really are like, you know, Claudia Winkleman one minute and then they go to pale the next. And I, I love them more and more. And what I like about them is they're brilliant for pots. And, and yeah. I usually plant them with small dahlias like Waltzing Matilda or Totally Tangerine. Because rather than engulf them, they are very happy to snake through the dahlia 
and hide away and bush up and then suddenly they burst out the top of the dahlia and they use each flowering stem as it's as like a little teepee and so you get a beautiful dahlia and then just underneath the dahlia you'll get this most wonderful little fumbergia saying hello yeah and, and they're really i think they're brilliant pot plants as as you taught me they if they can't climb they'll climb a little bit but then they'll spill over the rim of a pot so you get uh, a little bit of an upper story but also this beautiful spill downwards and i remember one year you grew i think you grew them in hanging baskets one year yeah. which i know we're not a fan of hanging baskets but they did suddenly make a hang even a hanging basket look wow we're in we're yeah. in marrakesh or somewhere it glamorous <laughs> absolutely no we're actually going to do a hanging basket trial this this next spring oh god yeah i just sort of feel may i want their time to come the hanging baskets time has come I think it's all about the shape and the material isn't it Exactly, exactly. And they can't be too small and too fussy. You know, the things that you don't want is is um, the little sort of rather uptight baubles of, of sort of on very, yeah, very <laughs> heavy begonias and stuff. Well, I personally am not particularly a fan of those, but these very loose sort of almost like manes, like horses' manes or great sort of trusses and tresses, <laughs> of these beautiful mm-hmm. coloured flowers, which, as we're both saying, are just coming into their absolute peak right now as autumn goes into winter. And I, I like you, I love Tumbergia, African sunset. I mean, it's just a black-eyed Susan. I mean, that's a common name, isn't it? And you, and you see them at the garden centre, but yeah. the, the, the ones you tend to see there are, are slightly stronger, slightly less subtle colours. And I, I think African sunset yes. is such a beautiful subtle colour. And I love mixing it with rhodochitin, which I think in Latin that just means red skin, rhodochitin, I think Mm. so. And those are amazing because the calyx is actually purple and then there's a hanging bell within it which holds the stamens, looking rather like a fuchsia might in a way with that sort of clangor in the middle of the of the flower. And what I find is even when the clang has dropped and the seed head is beginning to form, that purple calyx keeps its color for ages. So right into the end of November, even into December, they carry on looking colorful and glamorous, the rhodochitin. And I love them for that. I mean, they're delicate. They're not sort of chunky, robust growers, but they're they're definitely in the right place. They're, They're absolutely stunning. And I think they're very complimentary to the Tumbergi African sunset. Yeah, I remember seeing that. Um, I think they had it in pots at Chatsworth when I was there last, and they were just growing it up a teepee in the middle of quite a large pot, and it was just surrounded with um, Panicum sparkling fountain. Mm, and it looked lovely. so beautiful. I mean, because it's delicate, you wouldn't want to place it with something too overpowering. Yeah. But all these plants will look beautiful with other more delicate foliage. And as we've said, they, they are brilliant pot plants. I grew them. Um, from Bergia once at the Emma Bridgewater factory in, in large dustbins up teepees, which weren't as tall as teepees I would have done if they were sweet peas. They were probably about three foot tall from the, the base of the pot up. Mm. And they looked so beautiful. I remember it was November and I used to do flowers in the shop there. And I remember just bringing in the whole dolly tub with the from Bergia in. And they were in the shop. We had about four of them. And I they looked absolutely them. incredible. And yeah. they were quite happy in the shop because they were big windows. And I think they lasted about six weeks inside. Wow. That's such a good idea. Yeah, I think when it was decided that the Christmas stuff had to come in, I think they got chopped then. But okay. they looked brilliant for like the autumn display. 
Yeah, um, that's such so, yeah. a great idea as a movable pot plant that you can bring in and out. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So if idea. you had a conservatory, I'd I'd have them in the. I mean, they would absolutely adore being grown in somewhere like a conservatory, I think, or a garden room, because it would be if we have a cold summer, they'd be happy as Larry in in a bit of extra protection and warmth, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know you like the Spanish flag, don't you, as well? The Ipomoea labata. Yes. Used to be called Mina labata. Yeah, I always forget to grow it, actually. I'm quite guilty of forgetting, but I see it in other people's gardens and think, God, I must grow that next year. They're like little toucan beaks. Aren't they? Um, yeah. Or Chinese mm. pagodas. I always think they look like almost yes. like a tiered Chinese pagoda. Well, we've got uh, a one really prominently in the Dutch yard here, and I got back late last night, having been on the road with you, and um, just in my in my phone torch, I sort of caught a glimpse of this huge teepee of Ipomoea labata or Spanish flag and it just looks so glamorous like sort of wonderful flags just catching the light and it's delicate but it's also very glamorous and totally covered in flowers right now and totally covered in in buds too and the thing that I like about them which you've already mentioned I love the way you describe them like serpents or snakes because Mm. the shapes that you get of the new growth and the sort of tendrils going out to try and reach something to cling on to just gives you such amazing silhouette. That's what is, is just so great about the climbers. It, it's their shape as much as their color that makes them so almost almost like the most beautiful uh, 3D lace, I think. They're, they're absolutely wonderful. We, mu- we must talk about one that is a completely different shape to all the others that we've mentioned. It's more of a lantern, the cardiospermum, yeah. or as our dear friend Caroline says it every time it's brought up, loving a puff. Yeah, um. <laughs> loving a puff. Yeah, yeah. It is, and it's called cardio spermum and loving a ah. puff because cardio heart spermum seed. And in if you actually tear apart one of the little green puffs that literally look like they remind me of green cheesy footballs, <laughs> uh, that 1970s snack, it probably <laughs> went out of fashion you before you were born. You could do a practical born. joke on someone with them. You could put them in a bowl and give someone a lovely trick. Yeah. Or, you know, those other things, those Physalis, those Tom and Tillos or whatever they're called. They're very Mm, like that as well. Yes, you could. Yeah. Anyway, they, if you unpick that, what you have is it's, it's got three lobes and each lobe has a seed at its apex and it's jet black. And literally there is a perfect shape of a white heart as if stenciled on the side or painted on the side of that jet black seed. And that's why it's called cardiospermum or love in a puff. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and they're, they're really, it's so striking. And I, I love the fact that, you know, how long has that name been around? Love in a puff. I think it's fantastic. Well, love in a puff. Love in a puff. Yeah, love, it's much better with your, your accent than mine. Love in a puff. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, your idea of putting them as a table centre, I think is a brilliant one. So, because they are the most delicate of them. They're not sort of vigorous growers. Mm, Funnily enough, are. I first came across that in um, a friend's garden in Washington State in America. No, not Washington State. I'm talking rubbish. In New York State, um, in the Hudson Valley. And oh. she had it growing as a weed. She said, oh, that's just a weed here. Really? Yeah. And it was wow. really vigorous. So I bought seed back and I've, I've grown it ever since. But I find it is quite delicate. And actually, if you can find room for it on a frame in a greenhouse, I think it just keeps going longer. I think that's where it's happiest. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I have got it outside, but it does depend mm. if we have a sort of Indian summer 
and autumn goes on well, it, it, it really will produce lots of puffs. But if not, I find it, it doesn't it doesn't do so well. So it's one of those things that it, it's like icing on the cake, but perhaps not a sort of garden staple. But it really is beautiful. And over a frame in a in a nice shallow table center pot, absolutely stunning. Because again, because of the shapes, the the flowers yeah. are tiny. They're tiny little mm. white, very insignificant little white flowers. But the 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 puffs are very puffy <laughs> and lovely. If you've got toddlers, though, I'd imagine they'd all just get squished to death. If I was a toddler, I'd think of nothing nicer than finding them and squeezing them. Yes, <laughs> and actually, I don't know whether they're poisonous. I'm afraid I don't yeah, know. Yeah, we're not recommending that to anybody. No, we're not recommending that. If you've got wild that. children, that's Keep what your might children happen. away, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I've rather failed on the other Ipomias here. I, I actually saw an amazing teepee in the garden at Wisley, and Josie, the head gardener here, had spotted it as well. And that had done a really, really, really well this year. But I've tried again and again with the morning glories and particularly the blue one I've really struggled with. But the one called Grandpa Ott is the only one that yes. I think is pretty reliable in the garden here. Mm. And I do quite often grow it on arches or teepees to follow on from sweet peas. And I do love that sort of clear trumpet flower. You see them in glades like bindweed in the Mediterranean, but I just think they need a bit more heat and, and light than we commonly give them, apart from the variety Grandpa Ot. But we, we can't not mention, of course, our absolute passion for the cup and saucer plant, which I know we've talked about in a previous episode, but why don't you just describe why you love the Cabea? I think because it, it will go, honestly, it will go on and on after Christmas, to be honest, if you're in a sheltered place. We we always grow just two because they do make quite big plants. Yeah. And this year we've got one growing by the side of the door. It's crept up the little wigwam, gone on and on after the sweet peas were long since pulled out. And it's now happily climbing not only the porch, but it's in our wisteria. Wow, yeah. And yeah. my mum sent me a photo last night when there was almost a full moon. And it, it literally looked like aliens had landed across our across our porch because all these like yeah. little bells were just outstretched as if they were talking to one another in the moonlight. Um this year we've got a green one, not a purple one, which looks yeah. nicer actually in, in a trilight yeah. night than it does in the day. But they're wonderful and it's it's interesting. I noticed that wasps seem to really like them at this time of year. Oh. Um more than bees. Um, oh, so okay. I don't know if they've got more of a, a nectar that's like ivy for them. I don't know. Oh, okay. That's interesting. But yeah, it's a good that. a good little nectar plant for the pollinators. It will go on and on and on. And I just think it's wonderful. And, it, you know, the way you grow it at Perchill, you really let it go for it, don't you? you yeah. Know, it ends up draping whole walls. You know, you create walls of cabeus candy. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely love it. And we can go on picking it here often until Christmas lunch. And that's one of the, the reasons that I love it is it gives you, again, these wonderful twisting, turning, viney shapes and then mm. these huge flowers which look just like a sort of posh teacup sitting on a posh saucer. And um, they're completely beautiful. And to make them last in water, you sear the stem end in boiling water for five seconds and then put it into cold water. And then they last ah, at least a week and even... Once the trumpet, the, the cup has dropped from the calyx, the green calyx um, left behind is really lovely. It's sort of almost as lovely uh, without the purple or the white bell that's within it. 
And and then also the seed heads are beautiful too and quite chunky. Yeah, they're like eggs. Yeah, they are. They're like they're like green eggs, aren't they? And I use those a lot in sort of wreaths and still lifes where you want a bit more sort of substance, a bit something a bit more chunky. And then they work really beautifully like that. So I think before we finish, we should definitely just tell people when and how to sow them. Are you happy to chat about that, Arthur? Yeah, I think almost all of what we've mentioned today, if, you, if you're if you sowing from seed, I would sow them, you know, first, second week of January. Heated propagator, because bottom heat will really help them germinate. In the case of Ipomnias, I would always soak the seed the night before because it's mm. a hard little seed. Mm. And, um, you know, a little bit of lukewarm water, 24 hours, that will help soften the seed coat and plump up the seed. I mean, I've become quite lazy. I love Fumbergia, but that does come to me as a plug. Right. A little yep. plug seedling. But that is potted up. And all of them, I would say, let them bulk up under heat or on the windowsill for as long as you've got room to to have them indoors. They'll be quite happy almost as, as little climbing pot plants. You can just do a little miniature wigwam in their nine centimetre or one litre pots once they're getting quite substantial. And, you know, if we've got a cold spring, if it's a cold summer, they'll be far happier on the windowsill than being put out on a windy April day. So I would really bulk them up as much as you can and just look at your local weather and wait till summer, to be honest, has properly come, not spring. They are exotic things and they won't they won't like a cold spring. So keep them inside for as long as and let them get really big and substantial and then put them outside. That's how you'll you'll definitely get flour if you do that. So mollycoddle them a bit, I would say. Yeah, and and make them a little silver birch climbing frame before they yeah. go out so that they don't definitely sort of cascade in their pot. It's really good to get them growing vertical, if possible, on some sort of frame and get them growing actively before you put them out. Because mm. if you sow them early, which we're recommending that you do in January or February, you know, the, 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 the sort of vines may be almost uh, 75 centimetres long by the time you're planting them out. And so you want to um, give them a give them a frame. I mean, I do pinch them out, actually, if, they, oh, do you? if okay. I can't get them out. So, yeah, I do. And I do find they do bush then. I was pinching out my cabea. I think that was pinched out about four times before he went outside this year. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I've never done that. So that's a good tip. I mean, some of them maybe wouldn't respond to that, but I, I do it with cabea and, and the fumbergias too. Okay. That helps because, so, you know, I don't want them climbing up the windowsill, uh, the window no. pane too much. No. So if you can't get them out, if it's a cold spring, I would. And also start feeding them actually while they're potted up too. Um, they won't mind that at all. Great. Well, yeah. we have got a bit lazy, you know, what, Arthur, about giving recipes at the end of the... Oh, well, that's your department. I know. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought I would just quickly describe the most incredibly simple recipe that I actually made for supper last night. And it is so easy. And I'm literally kind of making this up almost as I go along, but I'll type up the recipe and put it in the podcast notes. And so when I got back, I just roasted a cauliflower in slices. So I cut it into sort of steaks and then I roast it in a hot oven, literally for about 10 minutes and cutting out the really chunky heart bit. And then I just made a dressing and this is vegan, uh, not even vegetarian. So I just made a dressing with a tablespoon of tahini, a tablespoon of soy sauce, a tablespoon of yogurt, and the juice of a lime. 
And I just poured that over and then a little slush of extra virgin olive oil over it before I roasted it with a bit of salt too. And so I just then drizzled that over the roasted cauliflower steak. Absolutely delicious. So I just thought I'd finish with that because I keep forgetting to to try and keep up with our tradition of giving a nice, simple, instant supper recipe or lunch recipe before we finish. I love cauliflower, actually. Do you love cauliflower? Well, that's one that yeah, you can... Yeah, I really do. Even you, Arthur, could manage that. Even I could do <laughs> And I know you'd like it because I know you like cauliflower and I know you like tahini. <laughs> thanks so much, everyone, for listening. And thank you, Arthur, for the chat. Next week, we're going to talk about the Christmas catalogue, actually. Or not just the catalogue, but our range and this is something that you always persuade me to do which is to actually pick through and select our absolute sort of favorite i don't know six or seven or perhaps eight or ten wows from what we've got currently on the website so that's what we're going to do and we're going to discuss how we use them too so see you then You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.